Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, how to use the RACI matrix. Here we go. When you're starting a project, there are all kinds of people with fingers in the pie, right? I mean, there are people who want to be on the team. Not mine. What's no, that? not my projects. No, 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 my, no not, not mine. I mean, I I just do my work. I have a list of tasks. I just do the tasks. Nobody messes with me. I don't have to talk to anybody. It's pretty straightforward. I don't, this whole political thing, fingers in the pie. And I hear people talking about stakeholders, but I just ignore that. I just put my head down and do the work and, you know. I don't worry about all that stuff. Yeah, to you, stakeholders <laughs> are our dinner plate, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well. Exactly right. For everybody other than Mark, there are all sorts of folks involved, right? There's people who want to be on the team. For the people. intelligent people in the group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. People affected by the work, uh, people who aren't affected by the work, but whose budget is, right? Those are important people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and unfortunately, there are people who don't want the project to succeed. They're only going to work against the project privately because their staff is impacted. Yeah, they'll nod their head in the meeting. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then privately sharpen their axe so they can gore your ox. Exactly. Then there are people who need to know stuff, right? The folks you need to keep informed. Yeah. And then and then there are, frankly, those folks who want to know stuff, don't need to know it, probably just create more trouble than, than you'd like. The number of people who say they need to know stuff is 80% less than the people who actually need to know stuff. Yeah. And anybody who learned, who's led projects before know that those... 80% that really don't need to be there, who just want to be involved, Ugh. can create a lot of Ugh. work. So so it's complex. Managing projects is hard, hard work. So how do we help project managers, or how do we as project managers keep track of who's responsible for what? Right, And we got a simple way of doing it. We call it the a responsibility matrix, and the best one we know of is called RACI, or R-A-C-I, yeah. pronounced RACI. In fact, the, the, the way I see this, Mike, is that we start with Horstman's Law of Project Management, who does what by when. And once you get down, no project succeed unless the tasks get done and you build on success after success after success and you have setbacks, but then you reassess and replan and, and move forward. But I had a conversation with somebody a couple of months ago and the reason I wrote this cast, I mean, it was in the future, but I, but I moved it up basically because... This person said, I feel like my, te- my projects aren't going well, but I'm, you know, I'm really focused on the tasks. And I realized he was a manager and, and really his projects had gotten bigger since he'd been an interview contributor when he was on project teams. And he just had no sense of the, that's probably too soft a word, but the ecosystem that he was working in. And he just thought it was about task completion and he didn't think at all about stakeholders or politics or who needed to know or how you could keep people informed. And the responsibility matrix is a way not just to fix responsibility, to be clear, hey, Mike's doing that, but Mark's responsible for this and so on, but also more broadly than just who has to do task X, but who do we need to keep informed? And there are various levels of needing information here that we'll cover here in a bit. And I think this is kind of an important thing to teach young project managers to pick their head up off of 
the 1700 tasks in their task list. And I'll tell you where I think this really hurts. I think we've got a lot of technical organizations in the world that if I'm made a project manager, because I'm a pretty good individual contributor and project manager role is a, is a way, is a stopping point or a midpoint on the way to maybe my becoming a manager. I'm a pretty linear guy. I'm a pretty rational guy. I'm a pretty logical guy for you disc people. I'm a high C or I'm a high DC. And I learned that it's about getting the work done. I learned to plan the work and work the plan. And, you know, Horseman's Law, who does what by when. And they stumble a little bit here because politically their projects begin to bog down. And it's because they haven't picked their head up of, uh, head up off of just the list of tasks and thought about who's going to get touched. How can I uh, be proactive there? How can I reduce my political risks? And, you know, some of you are listening right now and you sound just like I did 30 years ago when you said, well, I'm just going to be good and I'm not going to play politics. Well, you know, this is manager tools. We're not suggesting you play politics, but you darn well better do politics. You better be political. Politics happens. You know, people come together and friction occurs. And, and politics is the organization's way, a significant way for the organization to reduce that tension without fisticuffs. <laughs> and a lot of times politics comes into play when we haven't built strong relationships with other people. And project managers tend to have to go pretty far afield sometimes in organizations to places where you haven't had time to create and build the relationships you need. And if you're not doing this, you're going to end up alienating people all across the organization. And that hurts your abilities to, to get an actual manager job or to be considered to be, uh, you know, somebody who's really good by somebody else in the organization. So even though this is a very Excel spreadsheet looking kind of tool, the RACI matrix, it actually has, I think, really great teaching opportunity for the political implications and the multifaceted nature of projects today. So I really like it. Yeah, I do as well. So what are the specifics we're going to talk about today? Okay, so look, basically, uh, we, we've got six points we're going to make. The first thing we're going to do is walk you through what a responsibility matrix does. And, and the core of what a responsibility matrix does is it separates clearly. It delineates and separates who's responsible for what. And as you'll see, it goes beyond just task delivery. And RACI is an acronym. We're pronouncing it. But it's R-A-C-I, Romeo, Alpha, Charlie, India. R is for responsible. Who's responsible? A is for who's accountable. And by the way, the R-A-C-I is applied to each task in a project. C is for consulted. Who do we have to consult? I is for who do we have to keep informed or who do we have to inform, depending upon your choice of verb tense. And then we want to end with a really simple, an overly simplistic example of actually a project that I was just helping somebody on a couple of weeks ago. And I realized I could take a small microcosm of it and just show how the various tasks would be, how each task might have a different person being responsible, accountable, consulted, or informed. Good. Okay. Now, too often projects fail because the project manager doesn't consider who's in the loop, who's not in the loop, and who's doing what. And I think folks miss this often. It's not enough to know who's doing the task. We also got to know where the decision power is and who we need to keep informed. And the great thing yeah. about the racing matrix is that it helps us figure that out very clearly. Yeah, I can remember very clearly a number of years ago telling a guy who worked for me, look, this is the way it is. You're going to manage this project. 
Never forget Horseman's Law, who does what by when. You can't get this project done unless you know who's doing what and you know when it's going to be done by because deadlines motivate people and what they're going to be doing. You've got to be down in those weeds. If you're the project manager, you can't have a good feeling about it. You have to know. And I said, the second thing we've got to do is we've got to keep our political eyes and ears open. We've got to keep the right people informed and, and keep, the, uh, keep the finance people off our backs and make sure the hardware guys are okay and all that stuff. And I said, but we'll do that later. The first thing you're going to do is prove to me you can keep track of tasks and people and deadlines and you can crack the whip and kiss some feet and put your arm around some shoulders and incentivize and threaten and cajole and so on and actually get a couple of projects done. And once you've done that, then we'll expand your thinking a little bit. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to do with the first project I was signing to, assigning to a young individual contributor who is thinking, you know, I, I, I kind of think I've got some friends here and I think I could handle, you know, a couple of hundred tasks and all bundled up together in a project. I wouldn't want to load them up both with who does what by when and deadlines and task management and critical paths or, you know, or pert charts, or whatever else, and then also do the racy matrix. I just think that might be too much. And I think it confuses people about what's more important because if you spend all your time informing people and consulting people and you forget to get the tasks done, if you handle a racy matrix perfectly and none of the tasks get done, guess what? Your project's going to fail. So I see this as kind of step two in the project management education of one of my directs, perhaps, if I were preparing her for a managerial position or maybe just a, maybe just teaching her the whole process of, of, of managing projects. So what we're going to do is create a simple matrix. Down the leftmost column, we're going to list all the tasks for our project. Now, by the way, you can list all of them. And if you've got your tasks already in some sort of, you know, in a, a spreadsheet or in Microsoft project, really, really easy to, to add a, add the racy matrix to that into whatever software you're already capturing stuff. You don't have to do every task. If there's 1500 tasks, you don't before you start work on the project, you don't have to list the R, the A, the C, and the I for every single one of them. You might choose to do the next six weeks worth of work uh, and then four weeks in say, okay, I'm going to look out a little bit further and look at the, the racy implications for that next block of work that's coming up in a few weeks. Right. That's a good point, though. That changes over the, over the lifetime of the project. It may change, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, all of a sudden somebody starts making noise and you realize – we got another stakeholder here who's got the power to make it make like difficult. We better start informing them. And if they really, really push hard, we may have to consult with them. We don't want to. We may disagree with them. But if they have enough clout and they say they want to be consulted, we may have to roll over and say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. There's some learnings involved here. As soon as you think about putting an organization or a person on the matrix, that in and itself can be a great opportunity to learn something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So again, down the left-hand side, we're going to list all the tasks. Okay. Just like a typical project task schedule, obviously, probably, probably in chronological order, but they wouldn't necessarily have to be. You could rearrange a, a given racy matrix and you could, you could group the tasks by whether or not it's pre or post or whether it's related to a particular part of the project that's about budgeting or whether it's about spend or whether it's about critical functions or whatever. Then across the top, in other words, the top row, the left column will be tasks, and the top row are the key roles in the organization as they relate to the project. We're not talking necessarily about titles like VP or director, 
although there are roles that, in fact, they could have that as the role. But the roles are things like project sponsor. And there could be executive sponsor and there could be technical sponsor and there could be business sponsor. And then things like finance liaison or the technical team, the architect, the hardware manager. Maybe there's a purchasing team liaison. Maybe there is a a security officer that's involved if it's a fairly complex thing and security is involved and so on. Okay. And the idea here is to identify those people with legitimate stakes in the project by role, okay, as their role as it relates to the project. You wouldn't put a guy's name. You wouldn't put John in there. I suppose you could, but it would confuse people sometimes because you want to be clear about the role. And if you put a person's name, sometimes people get confused about why we're doing this particular activity relative to that person. Because if they join the project halfway through, they don't understand what that person's role is as it relates to the project. Right. Unless the person is somebody just like the CEO, whose name is John, for example, and everybody knows, okay, that's the CEO, right? But Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I was with a client. You'll love this. I was with a client a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, I told the story of you and I sitting in your conference room in uh, Pentagon City in Virginia when I was consulting to you. And uh, one of your direct, you sent one of your directs to a meeting for you. And um, when they came back into the room an hour, hour and a half later, we looked up, both of us looked up and at the same time said, who's at the meeting? And the person started giving a list of all the names of the people at the meeting. And at about the same time, about halfway through this list, both of us asked at the same time, was the CEO there? (laughs) Here's a list of 10 names. I'm not sure what context those names are. I don't know if that John you mentioned was the VP of finance or one of his associates two levels down who also was in finance and hypothetically could have been at the meeting. But what we knew was if the role of the CEO wasn't in the meeting, nothing important happened there. (laughs) And the look on the person's face when we asked them that was like, well, I thought you wanted to know who's at the meeting. And yes, we do. We want to know whether or not the one person who really needed to be there was there. Because if he wasn't, nothing important happened that's going to be a problem for us. <laughs> okay, sorry for that little I tangent, remember. folks. Okay, so you want to identify these people. And what we're doing this for is to ensure that the project keeps the right people doing the right things. Because you don't want people feeling that they're accountable for something when in fact they're responsible or you don't want somebody consulting with someone if in fact all we need to do is inform that person. And we also want to ensure that the people who need to know whatever they need to know, that they learn what they need to know and they also learn what they need to know when they need to know it. Sometimes information needs to go to somebody in advance of our activity That's generally consulting. And sometimes people, it's okay to just tell them after the fact, hey, we did that. It's done. And most people will say, I must be consulted. And whenever somebody says, I must be consulted, unless they're the CEO, your first thought should be, hmm, I'm not necessarily sure I agree. It may in (laughs) fact be true, but almost no one says, ah, you can do whatever you want. Just let me know what you're doing. Right. Right. So, so basically what we've got here now, think about it, guys. We've got a cross-referencing matrix, tasks on the left, roles on the right. And for each task and for each role as it relates to the project, we're going to assign the intersection of that row and that column. In other words, the task and the role, one of the four statuses for a racy matrix of R, A, C, or I. Now we know who's doing what, 
by when, if in fact you include the deadline of the task with the task itself, who's actually accountable for it, who's responsible, and who is being communicated to at what stage relative to that action. You know, the thing I like about RACI is, is that it's a great way to teach young project managers. Folks, I don't, I don't mean young in terms of age. I mean inexperienced yeah, project managers. You know, ways to think more broadly than just the tasks, right? Particularly in technical organizations where, where folks, it's not their tendency to think about people. Yeah. And projects are affected in many ways by many people. And, you know, asking your exactly. people to drop a RACI, right? And then going it over with her. What an opportunity to learn. Yeah. Tell her, hey, listen, these are the people who, who you think can affect you, but you need to think a little bit more broadly. This project, I've been assigning you bigger and bigger projects, and you've left off an important stakeholder here. The guy that really matters over an accounts payable is actually one level down from the accounts payable director. Um, he's the guy who's really technical, and all of these vendors that you're going to be touching are all in the technical arena, and that guy's not needs to be included. In fact, if you get him included, if you consult to him rather than informing his boss, he'll inform your bo- his boss for you, and you'll get better results because he'll keep some of the vendors in the loop. Right. Like his boss, I mean, she won't do anything without him buying off on it. And so he's all exactly. He's not- in the chain of command, so to speak, relative to this decision, if he doesn't buy off on it, she's not going to either. So you better include him. Yeah. And sometimes just simply telling a project manager, experienced or not, think about when somebody needs to know something. Some people you want to tell early, some people you don't. And look, folks, something else too. If you're not sure you have the right answer for something, don't feel bad. You're like everybody else in the world. Racy matrices do not imply that there is a right answer for every single intersection of row and column. There's not. Okay. Different project managers might choose to do it, choose to do it a little bit differently. We're not going to say that every single one would be different. It's not, we're, we're saying it's neither paint by numbers, nor is it just free association. Okay. You're going to, most of them are going to be 90% alike, but we're not trying to suggest here that there is an exact right way to do it. The purpose of the RACI matrix is to help the way you think and to, to make sure that your tasks are appropriately politically and chronologically actioned in a way that not only gets the work done, but keeps the beast off your back, so to speak. There you go. So should we walk through the, the four parts? Yeah, Just exactly. It's exactly what I was going to propose. Yeah. So let's talk about R. R. You said R stands for responsible. Yeah. If a role is going to be identified as responsible for something, that's the role that actually does the work. So, for instance, uh, if, if one of the roles across the top was the project team, right? Maybe there's three people, three project team members. Uh, maybe I'm one of them and, and Mike is the project manager. Then project team will have probably several R's in it, if not a lot of R's, because the project team is responsible because they own the tasks. You don't make the project team manager responsible. We'll talk about why that's not so in just a second. And you can often say that the people who are the workers are reporting to the project manager. They don't necessarily have to be on the team. It could very easily be that somebody related to the team would have a specific responsibility to sign off on something. But the responsible person is the one who actually does the work, who does the task, who actions the task. Okay. Now, how about accountable? How, how does that differ from the person responsible? 
I have to say the first few times I did this, this confused me because in my mind, responsible is accountable and accountable is responsible. Exactly. But when you think about it, look, you could use those words and twist them around any which way. But in, in the racy vocabulary, an accountable person is the one who is ultimately accountable. And that's the word I like, ultimately accountable for the deliverable of the task. Usually that means the person who blesses that the task is done, who signs off on it. And usually what that means, a simple way to think about it or a way to look for who's responsible and who's accountable is the person who is accountable is the person who delegates a particular task or assigns a task to the one doing the actual work. When it comes to responsible, it would not be unusual for a role, like for instance, the project team member role, even if there are actually three individuals in that role, it would not be unusual for a team to be responsible for something, even if you actually assigned it to one member of that team. You don't generally make a team accountable for something in the same way that teams don't actually do anything. It's always the individuals. When someone is accountable, listen to that phrase, when someone is accountable, that's one person. Usually the accountable role is a single individual. Right. And so in this case, if we're a team who's responsible, it wouldn't be unusual for the manager to be the accountable person. Yeah. And in a matrix organization, that would probably be a project manager. Doesn't have to be. Could be somebody else. But generally speaking, yeah, you'll see a lot of A's on the project manager for a typical, you know, six month project with a project team and, and a project manager. Yeah. All right. So that was R and A in RACI. The next one is C. And that uh, means consult. Yeah. A task that requires some consulting around it with a certain role before the task can be worked or completed is something that gets a consult tag. So for instance, if I were having to develop an install plan for maybe a new rack of servers, right? I'm going to have to consult with the data center facilities team versus simply informing them afterwards that I was in the data center mucking around with the facilities and flipping off the power and and saying, okay, let's do this. Let's leave this here. Let's do that. Let's double check this and so on. And then saying, okay, we're done. Let's turn the power back on. Consulting means you talk to the person in advance and you get their input. Now, some people in racy organizations that use racy matrices often say if i'm if i'm on the list as consulting right if i'm the data center facilities manager i have veto power and that's not what this is there's an assumption that when there's a c for consult in a particular intersection of row and column in other words task and role the assumption is that we have professional behavior which is not always true and that role understands they're being asked for input but it is not a license to simply say, I don't have time, I can't do it, and, and to screw a project manager. But your job is to know that if a task requires consultation, hopefully you know the person you're going to consult with. Ideally, you have a relationship with them. And the combination of knowing who they are, understanding what your relationship with them is, helps you decide how much in advance you're going to have to consult with them and, and how tolerant they will be of the level of consultation. But consultation for a role doesn't mean the ability to kill it. It just means you've got to talk to them and include their input in your actioning of the task. And when we say consult, we generally think 
before I can check off a task as being complete, that person has to be informed. And usually what that means is they provide some input or some expertise. They may in fact provide the criteria by which something is done because we don't know it, right? They would be the owner of a piece of software or a piece of hardware or a particular process in a part of the organization that we're not familiar with. And so they'd have to say, yes, that the task that you're suggesting will actually accomplish what you think it will based on the process it's interacting with. Right. But consulting means before you can check something off, there has to be communication. Okay. So contrast that for me with I inform the difference between consult and I equal being informed. A role that has an I, meaning they get informed, they need to be kept abreast of what's happening, but it's generally after we have done something. I've heard people say they prefer calling it racer as opposed to racee because it's responsible, accountable, consult, and report. In other words, rather than informing, I'm just going to report to that data center facilities manager. Yeah, I actually did it. And that's a really bad example. And I know it's a bad example, guys. I'm just joking around with you. So this is a case of after informing is what you do after you've done a task rather than before when you consult. It's more about reporting status and completion and issues perhaps that may have come up versus collaborating with that person in that role or the role on the work. Roles that are informed are generally passively involved. They can't block your work, but you don't want to take that to the extreme. Oh, this guy can't block my work, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do, okay? Communication is still important enough that a passive role is still valuable to you, and it's a good idea to be robust and clear, even if it happens after the task is completed, it's still valuable to capture the need to communicate with them, even though you do it after the task is done. And look, I got to tell you, the really smart executives, new executives, managers that are insecure often try to get consulted on everything. And everybody hates them secretly because they try to get consulted on everything. And, and they're maybe listed as consulted, but then they're so swamped with being having their fingers in so many pie, they end up failing. But because they're not on the project, sometimes they don't, they don't, sometimes they're not on the project. And so it's, everybody knows it quietly, but maybe they can get away with it. And then they walk around and say, well, gee, I'm just so busy. You can't, you can't rely on me. And they act like being busy and not meeting your deliverables is somehow a badge of courage. Let me tell you something, guys. It's not. It's just you're inefficient and ineffective. Smart executives, more experienced managers and more experienced executives know you know, if I think there's a way that I don't have to be consulted, I won't be. And you can inform me. And if I feel pretty confident about my ability or my my political stature or my role power alone, either by my title or because it's related to the project, if you inform me after the fact and I don't like it, I can still do something about it. It might be harder on you, but I don't want to be always the one on the hook and feeling like I've got to be consulted and therefore I really have to be actively involved and agree with what you're doing and bless you doing it, right? I'd rather you just tell me afterwards than I'll look at your work and decide whether or not it's something worthwhile. If it's not something that's really worthwhile, I could probably tolerate a mistake or two. It's not the end of the world. You high C's don't have a conniption fit. There's a good point here though. If you're going to put somebody, you know, you're going to mark that role as a C, meaning they're going to be consulted, then there's an obligation on their part. You just can't put somebody as a C to be consulted without right. them understanding that they have an obligation to respond, to actually consult. Consult right. implies a two-way street there. Yeah. Just go a little step further, dude, which is that when you put them on a consult, that's an increased risk to the timeline. Absolutely. A role 
around a particular task where there is no consults, they're only informed, tends to have a lower risk of failure than the one that has one or two consults and less informed, right? Because yeah. consult can happen. Consult can make it more difficult for you to check that block. Absolutely. Okay, so we, we talked about R, A, C, and I in RACI. Again, responsible, accountable, consult, and inform. So let's walk through an example. Yeah, I know I'm going to get hate mail about this because I've, I've made it a real, real, <laughs> I've made an overly simple already. one. Oh, thanks, dude. Thanks. Throw me under the bus. It's okay, right? So let's assume that one of my directs is a project manager. She's good, but sometimes she's too far down in the weeds, Right. And I'm trying to help her think a little bit more big picture. And sometimes she misses the politics of what she's doing. She always feels like she's doing it right. And I say, well, sorry, but if you're right and you piss everybody off, you're going to wonder why you don't get any rewards because people matter. You know, she delivers. Sometimes there's some ruffled feathers there because the politics aren't as smooth as they could be. People don't get informed. She pushes things through, which I love. But sometimes I have to defend her against maybe what we'll call aggrieved stakeholders, right? <laughs> and to be fair, I may very well have done this to her by saying to her, dude, again, because dude is gender neutral, dude, the first thing you need to know is no project succeeds unless the tasks get done on time and in budget and in scope. So look, you have to get the task done and it's who does what by when. And maybe I've hurt myself a little bit by saying, let's start with the linear basics, the core deep nugget basics of who does what by when. And she got excited about that because she's a high C and pretty linear and really smart. And she just thinks it's all about one big Microsoft project plan, pages and pages and pages. And she always wonders why it's so messy. The plan looks so perfect, right? It's just like that quote, you know, the, the thing looks well and the blocks behave as they should. <laughs> and then unfortunately for her, People start straggling after ripe blackberries and oh, it's, it's like we need leaders and managers as opposed to just robots. So in this particular case, this PM that I've got working for me, she's responsible for transitioning an IT system that's operational from a server that we own internally and which at some point we'll get rid of to a cloud-based vendor's site over a particular weekend, Right. We got hardware issues. We got software issues. This system handles accounts payable. It's got single payments. It's got installments. It's got licensing royalties. It's got intellectual property issues in the contractual agreements that go with some of these payments. The legal team is involved. The IT organization that supports international and accounting and finance and cash management is involved. Vendor relations, supply chain analysts, and it is soup to nuts. Sometimes these small projects, it just so happens that it touches a system that, oh boy, all you have to do is pull the string at any one spot and bells ring all over the place. But let, let's scope it down though, right? And say it's early in the project and she's preparing or we're preparing for a presentation to the supply chain organization regarding this new system. We're going to talk about the impact the transition is going to have and and really more we're preparing for and talking about the transition event as opposed to all the, the coding work that has to be done and the, the customizations can be done by our specialized vendor who's providing the software and so on. And then the, the cloud vendor as well, somebody we haven't worked with before. And again, we're only going to list three tasks 
that are involved in supporting this one briefing that we're going to do early on in the project in this much larger project. But to help her, this pretty smart project manager I got, uh, who's starting to ruffle feathers a little bit, rather than just listing the tasks and assigning them to her project team and having the deadlines listed, I'm asking her to think through along the lines of, okay, of course we need to know who's going to do what and by when, but who needs to know beyond the project team what we're doing? Who can kill our work if we're way off track? Who has final say on all this stuff? So we've got three tasks. We just listed three. Hopefully you'll see that this this is pretty straightforward. If you have 150 tasks, it takes a little bit longer. But once you get the hang of it, I've done racy matrices for 100 tasks in 10 minutes. Just boom, real quick. And almost every time I go, oh, I didn't see that one coming, but it's absolutely right. That guy's got, I want to inform that guy, but he's going to have to be consulted. I hate that guy too, by the way, <laughs> but I got to do it. And I better, better buy him a bottle of wine that he likes. So that way, two weeks from now, when I consult him, he'd be like, hey, thanks for the bottle of wine. And then I say, hey, you're good on that thing? Oh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. Good. Okay. Thanks, There you dude. go. Yeah, that's, that's my consulting. It's, that's the bottle of wine consulting technique. So three tasks. Somebody's got to draft the presentation. Somebody's got to do some outreach to the key suppliers to, to have their representatives at the presentation. And we've also got to have the supplier satisfaction criteria, since this is a supply chain issue, we got to make sure that their criteria regarding the switchover, that whatever they would consider to be a successful switchover relative to seamless operation, that we understand what those criteria are and that we validate them with them. We'll probably, inter- we'll probably create some and then we'll have to validate it with them. So there are three tasks and we're going we're gonna to talk about five roles the executive sponsor, the project manager, the project team, the supply chain liaison guy, and the legal liaison. Now, you'll notice I'm not on the list because I'm not the executive sponsor. Somebody else is, okay? Could be somebody in IT, could be somebody in supply chain, could be somebody in the business uh, that that just has a real thing about we've got to get to the cloud because our, our customers want it or our suppliers want it or whatever. The project manager, the PM that I mentioned, is the person that I'm sitting down with going over this. The project team are the people that are assigned to her to do the work. And obviously, supply chain legal liaison people are pretty straightforward. So let's take a look at drafting presentation. We've got to consult with the executive sponsor, right? Drafting of it. The PM obviously is going to be accountable for the draft, but the project team is responsible for it. We probably don't need to consult with the supply chain of the legal guys at this point. So we're just going to inform them, Hey, here's the draft, right? We don't need to have them involved in creating the draft, but informing them about it may cause them to say, okay, I want to make a couple of small changes here, but that would still be creating the draft. All we have to do is send the draft and say, let us know. And it's done. The draft is done. Key supplier representative outreach. Probably for the executive sponsor, all we need to do is inform him or her. The PM, though, the person working for me, my PM, my direct, she's accountable. Again, the project team is responsible. They're going to be the ones, right? Clearly, we're not going to ask the executive sponsor to make phone calls or send emails out to the supply chain, our suppliers, our vendors to get them to come to a meeting. 
And again, probably just informing the supply chain liaison and the legal liaison people so that they know the meeting's coming together. But now, in terms of validating the criteria that our suppliers are going to use to determine whether or not they feel good about this new system, now the executive sponsor is accountable. Because these are big suppliers who supply us in a number of categories. And we don't want the systems that connect us to not support that. Because I can't tell you how many, I mean, Mike, think about how many times in our lives have we had good relationships, but the systems break. And we're not just talking IT systems. It could be communication systems. It could be paperwork systems. It could be shipping systems. It could be delivery systems. Uh, It could be warehousing systems. When those systems break or the processes get changed and somebody makes a mistake, suddenly a system is changed and now the relationship suffers, right? Mm -hmm. All the time. Yeah. So the executive sponsor is going to be accountable. Now the PM is responsible because this is so important. The PM is actually going to be doing the validation with some of our suppliers. We're going to inform the project team, although they may also have some work to do there. The supply chain liaison now, though, we're going to consult on this one. We're going to find out in advance. We're going to talk to him or her in advance and go, what do you, you know, where the suppliers are going to go along with this because they're pretty forward thinking about the ITPs, which ones are old fashioned and great people and good suppliers. But maybe, maybe if, I, if it's not too hard, hard a thing to hear, you know, there's a family run company and they do stuff the old fashioned way. And there's always a printed invoice and so on. And going to the cloud, frankly, scares the founder. So we're going to have to totally consult with supply chain liaison in advance to say, Hey, have we done this before? Do we include suppliers? Do we include vendors in creating the criteria by which the transition is going to be measured? If you've never done that before, let's talk about it. And then lastly, again, the legal guy just gets informed. We're not suggesting, we just happen to pick three tasks that caused the the legal guy just to be informed. But of course, at some point, he's going to be or she's going to be consulted as well. The three we chose, the three small tasks we chose here, though, all are informing for the legal liaison. And hopefully you can see that this is a more complete and a more politically sensitive way to think about not just tasks and who's doing them, but the implication of those tasks and how all the stakeholders can be kept either at bay or at peace or involved or engaged and I'll tell you what, if you're always taking two steps forward and one step back because you're ruffling feathers, you're going to be working 50% harder than another project manager who spends a little bit of time, basically, if you don't mind, dotting the I's and crossing the T's on the people side, the communication side, the political side of projects. And as your projects get bigger, if you think it's as simple as who does what by when, it is, it is very basic and the project can't get completed without Horseman's Law, but it's much more complex. The higher you get up on the flagpole, the more your butt's exposed, folks. Yeah. I wish it weren't so, but it is. <laughs> yeah. And look, that's, that's all we have. I mean, we, we could deliver, we could talk for hours about this. And of course, those of you with, uh, with individual licenses to manage your tools can go and look at our matrix that we've got in the, uh, in the show notes for how to use a racing matrix. But look, it's simple. A responsible, accountable, consultant, and form. It's a more broad way of thinking. It expands the horseman law of project management to include the political environment that we live in. And the fact is, when we start a project, the more we know about 
who owns what, the better. It's way better, folks, to spend a few minutes and figure out who has to be communicated to and when they have to be communicated to, which is a huge mistake young project managers make. And then also, who has the authority and who actually does the work? And there are too many project managers, frankly, who make themselves responsible when, in fact, what they ought to be is accountable and the project team ought to be responsible. And look, even if we don't get it perfectly right, thinking about this and trying to get to clarity gets us closer to reduction of political risk. And of course, it gives us some leeway if something goes wrong. There you go. All right, my friend. Thank you. You bet, partner. We'll see you later. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.